when people are looking for someone to buy from, they don't actually write the check for a logical reason. They do it for the emotional reason. You know, you have to be prepared. You have to have the data. You have to have the track record. But ultimately, the thing that's going to set you apart is that people will feel something. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez. I am your host of the podcast and the founder of the Unstoppable Woman. And I am super excited to bring to the show today a guest who is a great entrepreneur in her own right, a serial entrepreneur, and also the mastermind behind a venture capital fund, which I think is a fascinating world to be in. And I can't wait to pick her mind and her brain about her journey from where she started to where she is now and and get her thoughts on investing and money and all those good things. So welcome to the show, Genevieve. It's so Thank great to you. have you here. Thank you. Yeah. to be here. First, let's let's give the audience a little context because what does it mean to be a serial entrepreneur? Like that can mean a mm-hmm. bunch of different things. So before we dive into sort of like the ups and downs of the journey and and all of that, tell us a little bit about just in brief, like the bullet pointed summary of like what you did yourself as an entrepreneur. I would say a serial entrepreneur is somebody who just like can't help themselves. They have lots of different ideas. They're multi-passionate about various businesses and they've started a lot of businesses. It doesn't mean they've been successful at a lot of businesses, but they've started a lot of businesses in different areas. They've tried a lot of different things and that's just kind of in your blood. There's some people who start one business and they run one business for their whole life. Um, that's an entrepreneur for sure, but not necessarily a serial entrepreneur. And then there's some people who have had many businesses, lots of experiences, failures, successes in different realms in different areas. And that is a serial entrepreneur. So how many businesses have you actually started and run yourself? What is the serial of the serial no, entrepreneur actually, actually looks like? I don't know. I mean, I have been the founder of many businesses. I have been sort of like a key executive or hire in a lot of businesses. I have had, you know, roles as, you know, consultants or now as an investor. So I've been a part of hundreds of businesses in different capacities. Now, how many of those were, were mine? I would say like, some I'm not sure how I would count when it, when it went from project to business or like I'm going to put my toe in the water and see if this is a thing to like it is a thing or it's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Say of those, I've probably had about five or eight. Yeah, five to yeah. eight. That's quite a lot. That's quite a lot. And one of the things that attracted me to having you on the the podcast was on your website. And so the 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 venture co- fund that you run now is called Suncoast Ventures. You have an about section and you talk about, you know, this this moment where you wrote this manifesto and it's called the Phoenix Manifesto. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> back of the napkin. Best yeah. best conversations there. So I am going to read this out loud here. It speaks to the way in which I approach business as well. But I want to know, like, as I read this, like, what comes up from for you from your past that yeah. like is like, oh, this this is what this is what I was <laughs> was I speaking to. So she says, I am a phoenix. Like, and I imagine this is like phoenix rising, right? Okay. I am a phoenix. I'm shakeable, not because I've never had setbacks. I'm intimate with pain and failure. I stand tall and look it in the face, and I've always pushed through. I always show up and never give up. I believe anything is possible, no matter the odds. I've faced the odds my entire life, fighting for my place in this world, for my right to walk the pathways to achieve greatness. What makes me resilient has nothing to do with what you see on my surface and everything to do with what lies within. Science and technology for betterment of society is how I choose to contribute to the world. I've dedicated my life. This is how I live and love. I'm willing to bend, but I'll never break. And the darkness can't get me because I burn on my very own. This is how I create my own light. I'm the phoenix. I've risen from the ashes many times. I'm forged in fire, but full of grace. I am unshakable. Love that. So good. So you say, I have faced the odds my entire life, fighting for my place in this world, for my right to walk the pathways to achieve greatness. So you don't say, I've achieved greatness, but you say, for my right to walk the the pathways to achieve greatness. Tell me about that. So this is written in the context of a female VC an industry that is highly, highly male dominated. And for, in many ways, the the chips are very much stacked against women and underrepresented entrepreneurs and fund managers um, when it comes to a lot of things, but in particular, obtaining the funding that we need in order to make investments. And so, you know, there are biases in the world that women uniquely experience. And women who don't really experience some of those biases and some of those barriers, I think aren't really putting themselves out there, you know, in the way that they should or could be because they are prevalent. And especially, you know, interestingly, COVID, um, we, in terms of women in the workforce, women in executive roles, we've gone back almost 30 years in terms of the representation of women just in executive roles, not just in entrepreneurship. And so, like there is not gender parity, there is not gender equity, and it is something that a lot of or people and organizations like to talk about. They like to post about, but people don't actually do anything about it. And so, when you start to kind of smash up against these walls and these barriers, or you know these things like that, you start to realize that this isn't a world that's often, especially the finance world and the investing world, is not really designed for women to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And then when you add in, if you're doing things that are equity or like access, equity, impact, it's not really designed for that 
that much either. So when you're starting to have to recreate a business model, it's not that there are other funds and investors doing what I'm doing. There are, but you know, we're still such a small representation of like the total, you know, ecosystem. You start to say, realize that it's a resilience and you have to tell yourself constantly, I belong here. I have a right. I, you know, and so I think of sort of the financial institutions as like the hallowed halls and, you know, I have to tell myself, I have just as much of a right to walk these hallowed halls as that guy or that guy does. And what you see on the outside has nothing to do with what I'm actually made of. And others may not see it, but I know that. Um, and that's kind of where that comes from. Do you find that you have to communicate what you're made of in indirect ways or direct ways to prove to the hollow halls, right? To the the people with the money that you're worthy of their investment? Like, is, is that something that you consciously think about how you're going to communicate? I know now that immediately when people meet me, they think I'm like in my early 20s. I'm not. <laughs> they think that I don't have experience. They believe that I'm investing my daddy's money they believe, you know, there's a lot of things that come into their mind. And I know this because a lot of people have said to me, this is what I thought about you when I first met you. But as soon as you opened your mouth and you started talking about your business, talking about your portfolio and expressing with conviction your beliefs, and I could tell that you are prepared, you're educated, you're, you know, you know what you're talking about. I realized, whoa, 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 this is not what I thought it was. And whether they invest or not, they pay attention. And so that has become something that I'm not sure if I would say it's conscious, but maybe it is a little bit conscious that I've just become habit to because I'm aware that I will not automatically receive credibility upon first meeting. I kind of have to establish that and earn that. Yeah, I think that's really interesting on a number of different fronts. So there's the you look young. So, you know, which in some ways is fabulous, right? Women have this double standard, right? They're they're yeah. they're supposed to look like they're 26 but have the experience of being 46 or whatever. I'm making up numbers, but there's this this youthfulness that gets prioritized, but then this is the shadow side of that that like in the workplace in in the investment world that's sort of written off as a lack of experience. So you have to overcome that. And then you also have to overcome this idea that as a youthful woman, you know, because they're imagining that you're young, that it's daddy's money, right? So yeah. the, the and that the way that you're doing that is almost like how everyone should do it, which is come well prepared, right? You Your strategy is one of becoming extraordinarily well prepared. And, and so is that... Do you find that that's part of your essential nature or do you feel like you 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 hone that because you had to overcome these biases? I take investing extremely seriously. I consider it a practice. Just like someone who maybe is providing healthcare services, you know, or has you know, is in clinical practice considers their work a practice. I think that investing is is the same and it's something that you constantly study and you learn from the best and you try to work against some of your own inherent human biases 
that keep you from being the best investor that you can and keep you from working with the data that's available. And so I think that you want to be prepared because I take my role and my stewardship of people's money extremely seriously and they need to be comfortable with that. You know, and then the other standpoint of that too is I think that there needs when people are looking for someone to buy from, whether they're looking that is investing with or becoming your client or something like that, they don't actually write the check or, you know, click send, you know, with of the money for a logical reason. They do it for emotional reason. And then they justify the emotional reason with logic. So, you know, you have to be prepared, you have to have the data, you have to have the track record or be building towards that track record. But ultimately, the thing that's going to set you apart is that people will feel something. Yeah. Resonate with you, your story, your mission, what you're doing, or they don't. And if they don't, that's fine. But if they feel something, they will, there's a lot more likelihood that they will join you, work with you, invest with you or something like that than if they don't. 100%. So, you know, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and one of the things they have to do is they have to get good with sales. So a lot of them are pitching to people like you, right? That's a that a pitch is a, a sales conversation in a way. A lot of my clients are, you know, running their own businesses and they're they're having to, you know, raise their prices or change their business model and sell in a different different way and it's an interesting place to teach people because we we want people to buy because they love our service and they think it's going to solve their problem and it's and it and it meets their needs and so people go at it in a very logical way and like do 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 and when i teach people sales yes i want to back it up with logic but you have to get them to the place where they want to hear what you have to say first and that requires that you meet them where they are and understand what their big desires are what's really stopping them what what is the emotional case for them doing anything different than what they are now also i think you have to draw a line in the sand and put a stake in the ground or whatever and be brave enough to do that And that means that you are going to turn some people off. There are some people who are just going to say, that's not, I don't believe that, you know, that's not what I want to do. And, you know, I remember back in the day when um, I started a fund, a loan fund and accelerator program for women called Accelerate. And when that first came out and that was like, you know, five or six years ago, I can't remember we were telling people that women were being passed over for investment and people didn't believe us. And I got, I remember getting messages on Twitter and tweet at mentions of people saying the world really doesn't need more nail salons. Oh, for <laughs> God's sake. Okay. The only type of business that women, you know, people doubted that there were real growth opportunities and real scalable company being run by women who could not access funding. And it was just wild to me. And so, but we we had to put that stake in the ground and say, women are being overlooked for funding. Women who run viable companies are not getting investment from venture capital or even SBA backed bank loans. And we got a lot of people offended by what we had to say who did not like it. And yeah. they're not going to be part of our thing anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of people who were saying, what you're saying resonates. I want to be a part of it. How do I get involved? And some of them invested. 
Yeah, 100%. So you're not going to please everyone. And when you're when you're engaged in changing the world, making your impact, even just making sales in your own company, you have to put yourself at risk. You have to dig deeper, ask the harder questions, put yourself wow. out there a little bit. And, a well, a lot bit, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, like you've got to kind of lay it out there first sometimes. Like you as the conversation leader, I I don't know, I guess like sometimes you're the one who has to put that vulnerable thing on the table to allow them to then go. I'm in or I'm not. I'm going to lean in or I'm leaning out. And, mm-hmm. and here's the thing. I think people can do this with authenticity and gen- genuineness, or you can do it as a ploy. And anyone listening, please don't do it how like, do, don't do it as virtue signaling. Don't do it as like a way to sort of like, oh, I'm going to be vulnerable first. And then someone like, don't do it as manipulation. Do it as a genuine communication of your truth, your essence, the 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 what you're doing in this world. And that's actually what's at risk, That it, what's more risky than if you're doing it as some sort of sort of play out there. If you're doing it as as a play, there's there's nothing vulnerable. There's nothing that, at risk because you're 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 BSing the world. But if you're really putting the truth of who you are and what you're about out there and you're on your edge, that's when you know you're on to something because you're you're actually speaking your truth. And you know, we've done many episodes on this podcast where I was like, oh, can I can I put that out there? You know, I did an episode on like why I got a divorce and yeah. you know, why I wasn't having sex, why I'm having the best sex in my life, why I got a, you know, yeah. a breast job, right? Like that was like, like, why am I putting it out there? what does it have to do with business? But it had everything to do with like owning my truth as a woman who was running a business and the things that that come up in creating a life that you really love, which I think entrepreneurs in general are are like addicted to in the best possible way. Like they want to create their life, whether it's their business or the fullness of the full extent of their life outside of business. They want that. And so I'm sure there were a lot of people who went, eh, not interested. This isn't for me. And yet there were other people who were like leaning in and being like, oh my God, I can't believe she's talking about this, but okay, let's go. Right. So, and I've also talked about things that a lot of people don't want to talk about, which is very interesting. A lot of women entrepreneurs have mixed feelings around money, which is is really interesting to me. As someone who had to do her own work on money beliefs, I know that it's <laughs> right. I know that it's there. You, you just raised your hand and you're like, I'm a venture yeah. capitalist. I'm, I have to do my my work on money stuff. So let's let's go there. Genevieve, <laughs> what what has been your work on money stuff? I did not come from money. My mother was a single mother. She had three kids. Money was extremely tight. So, you know, I grew up with certain beliefs about that I didn't even realize were there, but just about what money is and what it's what it's not and what is allowed for me and, you know, for I could go into it forever, but basically I had a very much a lack mentality. There is not enough. And, you know, a lot of people will be shocked to find out, and, you know, since we're on the topic of money and we're talking about vulnerability, I can share, you know, I have had, you know, my life up until my mid thirties, I was a financial mess. And, it, you know, it, I think a lot of it was just because I was disempowered and my beliefs were kind of whacked up. 
wacky about money and everything. I was not investing or, you know, and operating as an investor back then. I was an entrepreneur. But as soon as I started to step into the world of venture capital, I real the first thing I did was say, I've got to clear my money stuff because I have to become a conduit of abundance. As an investor, my job is to amplify and create channels for wealth and money. I would say there was um, a New Year's Eve of, of 2020, and I had a friend over and it was kind of still pandemic-y time. And, and I remember talking with her and I was just like, and I didn't have a job at the time. And you know, my small savings was dwindling down and I was like, what am I going to do? And I had done, of course, a lot of work and things like that. And a couple things ended up occurring. And, you know, that's a, a story for another day. I actually talk about it in um, Adventurous in my book. But like approximately one year later, my net worth was $1 million. And so I was like, not only did I go from literally negative with like no penny, like no pennies, to, to a net worth of over a million dollars in a pandemic. And it wasn't like I was looking at it every day. You know, I was chopping wood and hoeing, sewing the field. Yeah. You know, it occurred to me one day as I was, you know, monitoring the portfolio and things like that, I thought to myself, wait a minute. Like, and I checked to, you know, did quick math. What's my, what's my share of this? What are my assets worth? And I was like, I made over a million dollars. And net worth in just one year without even realizing I was doing it. And if that is possible, what else is possible? Right. Realize and that and my money work continues. So let's pause there for a second. First of all, congratulations. That's that's a freaking like breakthrough. Right. But let's break it down. Let's tell the audience what you had to do. So there was this New Year's Eve where you're like flipping out. You're ha- or you're having the heart to heart, whatever that that yeah. version is. But uh-huh. you're, you're not in your the best place financially. And then a year later, you have a net worth of one million. That's the, the before and after, which is fantastic. But let's break down what were some of the things that you had to move beyond mm-hmm. to shift out of that lack mentality, move out of the old identity, old self image, and into something new yeah. that could produce this kind of outcome? The first thing I had to really look at for myself was all the responsibility I was refusing to take for my own life. Oh, that's so good. Okay. Just pause there for a second. People listening, you will know if you're a longtime loyal listener that I talk about personal responsibility all the freaking time that it's oh, I actually I was like, I'm responsible. No, 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 no. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but personal responsibility, everyone listening, one of the keys to freedom, when you actually start taking personal responsibility for everything in your life, not just the things that you want to take personal responsibility for, but for every single freaking outcome in your life, and you start working at that level, like I I have that level of standard, your life will change. Okay, please continue. I just needed to add a little color commentary there. And what I will say is there's a difference between something may not be my fault but it is my responsibility. Like I have responsibility. So that was an important delineation for me to be like this thing that happened, it happened to me and I didn't hand, you know, create it, but am I, do, is it still my responsibility now to deal with because it's in its presence in my life? Yes. You know? And so it was even small things like not renewing my passport, 
you know, like administrative tasks, like just things. It really, when I started looking at these things, I was like, why do I avoid this? And and it came down to big things too. Like I was living in like, I, I wouldn't step up and like get my own place. Like I was like kind of renting from people and stuff like that. And I was like, why am I doing this? Why? Because I didn't want the responsibility, you know, wow. I was afraid of it. And so as soon as I kind of started taking those steps and I would actually even have anxiety sometimes about it and just, and then in business, how that looked was actually looking at numbers. Oh, I don't have enough leads. How many people did I actually prospect to this? Oh week? my God. I love it, Genevieve. So <laughs> I have this, I have this. So I teach my clients to make love to the numbers. Okay. And it's yeah. like, it's simple math. This is not calculus. This is like, how many, what's my conversion rate? If you know your conversion rate, then you know how many people you need to be speaking to. And if you know how many people you need to be speaking to, you also know that there's a conversion rate between how many people you reach out to and how many calls you get. So then you have to factor that in. And then so you simple. know how yeah. many people you actually have to reach out to. And then you have to put it on here. Wait for it. Wait for it. You have to put it on your calendar and you have to do what's on your calendar. It's such simple math and simple logic, but we avoid it because we, we to our conversation before, well, a lot of people avoid sales. They actually, they, they don't want, they, there's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of saying the wrong thing and being shamed. There's, there's, you know, not being enough. What if I don't know what to do? I might as well not do it. And this is not working on the conscious level at all. This is totally subconscious programming playing out here. So yeah. hallelujah. Speaking my language. Okay. Yeah. It's, okay. you know, so you're all stressing like about not having enough money. And it's like, well, I don't have enough money because I don't have enough, you know, clients or leads or, you know, whatever that might be. Well, I don't have this because, and you go back and you're like, well, what did I actually do this week? Fret. <laughs> and I played with my email, but you didn't yeah. do anything to yeah. actually move the needle in your business. So I, yeah. I freaking love that. That's so good. So good. So good. The other thing so simple. Like, I think people think it, it's like this magic, you know, no. thing. and you're like, no, it's actually as simple as like literally picking up the phone and prospecting. Yeah. It's that simple. You know? But people won't like calling people they don't know is that people come up with excuses like, well, how do I introduce myself? Or And quite frankly, there's an art to this. You have to learn it. I love role modeling this and figuring out what the little segues are and the, the engagements. But fundamentally, you just have to start. And there's prospecting to cold audiences. And then there's prospecting to warm audiences. And both are really viable and both work. And they're one of the keys to success. And, and if you if you actually do it and you go through, you talked about the little anxieties that you were facing, you know, whether it was for prospecting or for the stuff in your personal life around the passport and the ministrivia and stuff. Yeah. I call that, and I learned this from, from mentors, I call that the terror barrier, right? That this is like that little anxiety that comes up. And if, if we listen to it and avoid it, we stay stuck and stopped. But you have to move through it because you'll always have that when you're showing up in a way that's different than your initial identity. So your initial identity was someone who hated administrivia, didn't take personal responsibility, all of that stuff. When you yeah. start doing it, 
you're up against the fact that, oh, this is different than how I normally show up. And your body creates a chemical reaction that's called anxiety. And most people at that point stop, but you didn't, which is fantastic. I love it. And it was just like, I I just started, I was like, I'm so over my own bullshit. Like, it's not even interesting to me anymore. I just, just, I don't want to hear it. I'm like, I'm over my own bullshit. I'm over other people's bullshit. I'm over it. And I just really stopped caring. And that was important to me because I had to stop caring and be so over my own bullshit that I didn't care if I got a rejection. I love it. Yeah. I'm like reaching out with integrity. And sometimes it still is hard to get re- get rejections. I will probably pitch a thousand times before I will have fund one completely done. And we're almost we're almost to that. So I probably pitched 700 times, maybe. I'm not sure. But You're getting like, good at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, you know, and on Friday, I remember I had three knows before lunch and I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. Right. You know, like it's not, it's still hard, but you know, it's like, you just have to stop, not care about it anymore. Not yeah. Just- so let's talk about, th- let's talk about that stopping at lunch. Like, okay, I'm done because yeah. I want to clarify that. She's saying she's done because she needs a reset. She's yeah. done because she needs to regroup. She's done because she needs to have a beat in my mind. You can tell me I'm wrong here. Have a beat to think about, okay, what could I have improved on? What did, what do I need to do differently there to come back to herself and to the, the, the groundedness of like, okay, I'm, I'm in this and I'm doing this. What, what, what do I need to do differently? But yeah. she's not saying I'm done stopping at lunch and never coming back. Am I right there? Yeah. It's like adjust your energy because like if I'm in a bad energy spot and I'm reaching out and prospecting or talking with investors from a place of being like a bad energy, then it's not going to come across very good. So I'll be like, I'm done. First of all, it's Friday in the summer. So like people aren't going to be, it's, you know. It's a good time not to call is what you're saying. Just give yourself, you know, some grace, but also just being like, I need to adjust. I need to shift. I'm not in a great spot. This is just, I'm disappointed. I'm feeling like the world is against me. I'm afraid I'm going to fail at this and I'm going to go have a latte and take a walk, (laughs) you know, and that's kind of, you know. Yeah. I was just going to ask you how you shift your energy, because I think it's really important. People don't necessarily have a cheat sheet, but I recommend it. Like, what are the things that you do to shift your energy? Some people take naps. Some people do breathing exercises. Some people do yoga. Some people go for a run or a walk. Some people do a coffee. What what are the headsets for? What do you do? I have playlists on my phone and Spotify and I have certain music that just like uplifts me. I'm like very easy. I've learned I'm very easy to condition. Like you can, I'm like the dog, like the bell rings and I will salivate. Like it's, you know, and so it's like, if I do that myself, you know, and so I can, I will listen to certain music. What like, kind, give us an, give us one or two songs that you love that are uplifting. So I've got a bunch of songs I like to listen to and I do deals. Okay. You know? And so it's like, usually house music. It's something really upbeat. Like it's like David Guetta or Tiesto, but it's always like something kind of positive messagey. Like, so for example, like David Guetta has a mix where he remixes Money by Pink Floyd. And it's like, get rich or die trying. And it's like, am I really trying to get rich? No, but like, it's kind of fun, you know? And I'm like, I'm doing deals. Like, yeah. You know, it's sometimes when I listen, I'll like listen to that music sometimes when I'm doing deals. And when I'm like, winning, you know, like, 
click the DocuSign, sign the deal, wire the money. And I'm like, woohoo, you know, and then I will also sometimes listen to it when I'm feeling like I need a reminder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so let's go back. I want to go back to one thing you just said. I don't want to pass it up. You said, but I'm not trying to get rich. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so entrepreneurship is hard. And you're you're in after a while, after many years, and like back to the Phoenix Manifesto, failing over and over and over again. And after a while, the money is not enough. It has to be. Mm, yeah. Like we're not no we're we're not doing this for free. Like you know, we all have goals of philanthropy, especially women. We all intend to be highly philanthropic or are highly philanthropic, but the goal. We're not trying to amass piles of money for us to like sit on and swim in. You know, we are trying to create wealth for ourselves and for our lives. And we're trying to create a world that we want to see. The size and the spectrum of the world that you want to see is up to you, you know, but like we are all trying to create that world. And, and that's what gets you up. What gets you out of bed when your heat feet hit the floor. I used to call it the really mornings when you open your eyes and you look at the ceiling and you're like, really? <laughs> I'm going to get up again. Yeah. Right. Especially in like right? year when you're like not making much money and it's really hard and you have to keep going and you're just like, I just don't know if I could do this. I'm not, you know. Did you ever feel like you were going to quit? Oh, yeah. I have quit. A thousand times. In fact, I failed so badly one time that I had to move home with my parents and I had no money. And my mom and dad actually confessed to me later that they didn't, they weren't sure that I was going to get back up again. And I like my family, I think they thought that I was like kind of done for. <laughs> they were a little Because what were you, sh what were you um, presenting? Were you in deep shame? Were you not getting out of bed? Were you depressed? What what was yeah, going on? I was, I was deeply in shame. I'd made huge mistakes. The mistakes had spiraled and they had mounted on each other. And it was sort of this perfect storm of shame. And then, um, you know, I went through some personal stuff in my life. I had, I got divorced. I had, you know, family deaths and, you know, just all these things kind of happening. I had a really tough couple of years and I was trying to build a company. So I personally wasn't really well supported enough to be able to, you know, my own cup was not runneth over, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, when I hit struggles with the company, I didn't have like the judgment, the discernment, the mental health, the physical health to be able to steward that company through and you know just some really unfortunate things happened and it was like you know i i felt deep shame about my inability to turn the company around about the things that fell on the floor about the people that were affected you know by the failure of the company and but i knew there was like nothing i could do i was like i've done everything I can. And it wasn't enough. And so- How did it, you pull yourself out? It took a year. I had to get rid of everything. I was like, I've got to reset. I have to start over again. And I don't know, I don't know what to do. And I, I found one thing that kind of brought me purpose and I didn't make any money at it. It was at, it was Accelerate. It was the nonprofit. It was a nonprofit. So, but I was just put all my effort 
into that because I was like, this is the one thing that I have that gives me a sense of purpose right now. And I don't know what's next for me. That's great. I love it. I love it. Okay. Before I ask my last few questions, where can people find you if they want to learn more about Accelerate or the venture fund? Yeah. Well, so my venture fund is suncoastvc.com. And so that's on the website. I also have a podcast, um, which is Adventurous Podcast. And that's spelled like venture, adventure. So it's a slightly different spelling. Um, It's on all major podcasting channels or adventurouspodcast.com. And um, I'm on Instagram too, Genevieve Le Marshall. And if someone lives in the Pacific Northwest, particularly if they're in Oregon, they've probably heard of Accelerate because it's, you know, it's known there, but that's Accelerate with two X's. And that's where that we'll put all of this in the show notes as well. So if you're looking for this, you'll find it there. Okay, let's talk about a few things. So one of the things that I love to ask women who are guests on this podcast is, what do they love about themselves? And I think this is a particularly good question to ask after the conversation about failing so miserably and having, you know, the year of that it took to be that phoenix rising, right? And so so tell me, what do you love about yourself? I would say I usually tell people that my best quality is my resilience. And okay. so I think that is the thing that I value the most in me and that I have the most like pride in is I am probably the most resilient person I know. And so I think it's that. The other thing sometimes I think about is I often will tell my tell people that the only thing I've ever done right is just recognize an opportunity and run with it. And so I think I have in the past made myself wrong for my tendency to see, you know, seize the day and run with something and then kind of be done with it when it proved that it wasn't going to be the opportunity that I thought it might be. But I learned that that's actually has helped shape me, you know, into the person that I am. I love that. I love that. Well, before we say goodbye, I just want to reflect on a few things that I really see in you, which is riffing off of that concept of resilience. You know, not a lot of women are willing to step forward and have a conversation and say, I failed miserably many times. Here's how I failed. And here's what I'm doing great. Right. And and that takes a level of resilience to go through that and yeah. come out the other side. And you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to come out the other side and hold space for the the brilliant venture capital fund that you've created, the impact that you're making in this world, the money that you're making, you know, that you're like, oh look, I made a million dollars. That's great. Right. <laughs> um, but you wouldn't be able to do that if you weren't truly resilient. And that takes a level of honesty and vulnerability. Like you can't be resilient if you're not looking at your own stuff and to our conversation around the the personal responsibility. Like you cannot have that level of resilience. You'll be stuck in the shame if you don't take that moment to take personal responsibility and in be truly vulnerable about where where you made the mistakes and what you needed to do differently and all of that. So really excited to share this with our audience. And I thank you for for being a light of transparency. So 
Thank you, Genevieve. I appreciate that. And that, that's actually something that I feel is like my calling in a way. It's like, do you know, is my job to be run a venture fund and be an investor? Yes. But I want to give people permission to be who they really are and give people permission to say, like, I don't have it all right, you know, and I would just work with entrepreneurs for free if I could. You know, but that instead, would... let, let's get them some money and fund them. And some money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. So good to have you. Thank you. It was great to come on. Thanks. Thanks.